you have your Bibles, you turn to Malachi chapter 4. I was bummed that we didn't get to get together last week. This week we would have been starting something new. Next week uh, we'll be, since we'll be finishing up tonight in Malachi, we'll be starting off next week in uh, 1 John, and we'll, we'll work our way through, through that book and the New Testament, and I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully you all come back for that as well. Uh, so <clears throat> the last time we met, a uh, week before last, I guess, uh, we focused on the first three verses of chapter 4 in Malachi, which is the final chapter. There's only six verses in that, in that chapter, uh, so it's very short. And if you remember, Malachi prophesied that a, a day of burning like an oven uh, was coming, a day described as the day the Lord will act, meaning he will act with effect. Um, this is a decisive action. It will come to pass. Uh, No way around it. A day that will see all the arrogant and all the evildoers set ablaze like stubble, um, where they will be left as ashes. And if that wasn't enough to make it clear that God was going to bring an end to the lives of everyone who does not obey him, the word of the Lord continued by adding that those people will be left with neither root nor branch. And remember, this language makes the point that there's no chance that they could survive this, and especially no chance that they could come back. Um, there's, there's no purgatory, no second chance, no place to make up your sins after the fact. And we remember we talked about this. If the, if the branches are burnt up, uh, you know, and there's still a root under the ground, there's still a chance for life to spring up. Okay? And that's why God uses these words to emphasize the finality of this. There's no hope. For the wicked on this day, it's completely over. Root and branches, gone. Um, And God is is not a universalist. The the Lord of armies made his strong declaration of impending destruction against the godless and arrogant evildoers, but he also made a promise to those who feared his name. And a a promise of healing, uh, of sharing in the Lord's victory over evil, of the burden of ongoing sin and sorrow being lifted. The picture that, that Malachi gave in verse 2 was of the calf going out from the stall and leaping. Um, it's, it's to speak of freedom and joy and life. And that's the idea there. For those who fear God, that is, that is what is to be expected, is freedom from sin and the burden of it and, and life. We have life in Christ. And this was the result of righteousness. And we know from the rest of Scripture that it is because of a righteousness that's foreign to the efforts of man. It's a righteousness earned by Christ, not by man, given by God to those who come in repentance and faith. Whether Old Testament or New Testament, faith, uh, repentance and faith are always the key. And we've seen that throughout this book, a call to repentance and turning back to God in faith. And to know Christ, to be in Christ, is to receive this saving righteousness. It's worth dumping everything else for, that is, that we may hold up as valuable in life, 
And as Paul made it clear in his letter to the church at Philippi in Philippians 3, 8, and 9, he said, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So the promise to those who actually fear God here in our our passage is uh, not that they would be joining those in in destruction, um, those evildoers that will be destroyed, but it is to have life in the Lord, which brings us to the passage for this lesson, which is the rest of chapter 4 and the end of the Old Testament scriptures. The last three verses of chapter 4 are to be taken as instruction for those who fear God, instructions for what to do or how to live in the time of life before the coming day of the Lord, Okay, because they, they are now looking forward to this day coming. It hasn't happened yet. So these are instructions for them. Now, not only instructions, but also information about what to expect from God. Of course, without what we really hope for all the time is it doesn't have specific dates and times and things like that. Um, but nevertheless, the command is clear here um, for what they are to do. Let's read our passage in Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. 4 through 6. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Join me in prayer this evening. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time to be here tonight, to open up your word, to um, learn from it, to be encouraged by it. Uh, Father, we thank you for how your spirit that indwells every believer brings about knowledge of the truth to us. Lord, you, you open our eyes and our hearts to receive the truth, uh, to understand the truth. And Father, we pray tonight that you would do so, that you would give us understanding, that you would uh, teach our hearts, Lord, to trust you, and that our lives are to be marked by repentance and faith. We repented and received salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, but as you have left us here and as we are being sanctified by your word, Father, you have made it clear that we struggle with sin still. And Lord, I pray that we would each and every day come in repentance of our sin, knowing that the blood of Christ has taken care of all of that. Lord, that you would free our consciences through repentance and faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's look first at the instructions that the Lord gives through the prophet Malachi. And remember that these instructions follow directly after God has just promised healing and victory through righteousness. Okay, This instruction portion right here follows his message to those who did fear him. He already gave his strong warning of destruction to those who don't. Um, Last week we we ended by looking at his promise to those who do fear him, and now the instruction in verse 4 goes to those who fear him as well. Um, Malachi 4.4, 4. 
Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. So the Lord is saying, if you fear me and believe what I'm saying, do this. Remember. Okay, he's saying remember. You might expect God to have a, a new plan or strategy here for his people besides the command to remember. This has not been one of the people's strong points. Okay, well, it's not been one of God's people's strong points. In fact, they really stink at remembering. Okay, and it's in reality one of their worst problems is they don't remember. Okay, God does not have to try a new strategy. There's nothing wrong with the path he already laid out for his people. Okay, let's say God did come up with a new plan for how the people should live. What would they do with it? What do you guys think? If God did say, you know what, last plan didn't work, here's a new plan. Moving forward now, here's the plan. What would the people do with it? Same thing they did with the old one. Right? They, they'd ignore it. They'd forget. They wouldn't follow it. Okay? Uh, they, they really would, would blow it. <clears throat> it is the, it's the bent of sinful men to forget the Lord and what he's done. And this pattern is expressed in the book of Judges. After God's victory for the people and 40 years of peace under the leadership of Gideon, what did they do when he died? As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Berith their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And that's in Judges 8, uh, 33 and 34. As soon as Gideon died, they went right back to prostituting themselves out in, in idolatry. Um, not only forgetting what God had done for them, but forgetting God himself. Okay, there are countless examples in Scripture of how the people didn't remember the Lord, their God. No, the, the problem is not God's ways. It is the rebellious people who don't follow them. He doesn't need a new game plan. He needs obedient people, people who fear his name. So God doesn't change here. He, he reiterates what he's always said and what the people always neglect to do, which is remember. Moses said, remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery for a strong hand, uh, for by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. Exodus 13.3. The Lord said to Moses, so you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. Numbers 15.40. The scriptures also describe the remembrance of the Lord as being a blessing and a source of strength and a focus of our praise. In Psalm 119, 55 and 56, it says, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. And if you would, turn with me to Psalm 105. Psalm 105, and I want to look at the first five verses there. In thinking about this idea of remembering and, and that for God's people to remember is, is not a burden. It's a blessing. Psalm 105, starting at verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his name, holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. 
Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he uttered. Okay? All of that is, it hinges on remembrance. If we, if we don't meditate on the word of God and what he's done, we'll forget. If we don't remind ourselves, and if we don't remind each other, we'll forget. It's the pattern. So what, what the Lord is saying in Malachi 4.4 is nothing new, but a reminder of what he's always commanded, that is that his people should remember him. In the case of our passage, specifically to remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. In other words, you know what I commanded my people to do through Moses, who received the tablets. God does not have to go over the whole law with them and and recount every single thing that he said. Uh, This command to remember assumes the people know what to remember. And we know that God is talking about the Ten Commandments here and and all the following statutes and ceremonial laws and, and everything that he established for the people to set them apart from the world and as his covenant people. And the Lord mentions the place where he commanded his servant Moses in this passage. He says, at Horeb. Hey, does anybody know what, what is Horeb? What's that? Yeah. What else? Is it called by anything else? Yeah, that's where they got the Ten Commandments. Let's turn and look at Exodus 3 real quick. Exodus chapter 3. Okay, Exodus chapter 3, <clears throat> and look at verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Okay, so Horeb is also known as the mountain of God. Well, what else happened there? Look at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And we're all familiar with that. That took place on Horeb, which is also known as the mountain of God. And drop down to verse 12 in Exodus 3. But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Okay, so they're going to be coming back to this mountain after the people of God are taken out of Egypt. Okay, the mountain of God is also known as Sinai. In many passages of Scripture, like, like in Nehemiah 9.13, says, You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. Okay, so as you go through the Scriptures and you see Sinai, you see Horeb, you see the mountain of God, okay, it's, the same, it's the same thing. And if that isn't enough to prove that Horeb and Sinai are the same, Stephen made it clear when, we're talking New Testament, when he preached the gospel to the Jews before they stoned him to death, he was walking them through their own history uh, as God's people and what the Lord did through Moses. And um, we saw in the Exodus passage a minute ago that the burning bush incident took place on Mount Horeb. Look at what Stephen says in Acts 7.30. He says, now, When 40 years had passed, remember, he's at this point preaching to the Jews right before they stone him. He's telling them what happened in the past. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him, Moses, 
in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. Horeb, the mountain of God, Sinai are all the same place. Okay? Exodus called the place where the bush was Horeb. Stephen called it Sinai. It's the same place. So those in Malachi, uh, that, that Malachi is talking to know what he's referencing. They know the, the time frame, the, the players, Moses, and the, the ancient, uh, their ancient family members. Uh, they know this is about the Ten Commandments and the covenant that God made with them. And, and to tell them to remember it. Okay, what was just promised by God about a day of burning and, and righteousness has not come yet. It is the future, and it is coming for sure, but not yet in Malachi's day. So in the meantime, remember. Remember the commands of God. This is a clear call for those who fear God to not only remember the law of God, but to observe the law of God, to practice it. It's not just, yeah, I remember that, but it's, <laughs> remember it also means activity. It means doing it, okay? Live like his people are supposed to live, set apart, holy to God. It's a call to steadfastness and endurance for however long the Lord may delay his return. He's talking about this day, but he hasn't given them a date or a time. They, they don't know. So in the meantime, remember. Remember the Lord and what he did. Live like his people. This is no different than how you and I are to live today. And we still know the Lord is coming back. We're still waiting for our Lord to come back. We don't know when. And as Christians, we're to live Lie a life in obedience and faith to God, to be set apart from the world uh, and holy unto God while we wait. Not, not passively waiting. Okay, again, that's not just remember it, but there's activity. We, we are actively living as God sanctifies us in his word. After giving them instruction about how to live, Malachi tells the people what to expect in verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> Let's look at verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This prophecy regarding Elijah coming can be a bit confusing in some respects. And let's, let's see what the scriptures tell us, though, about the fulfillment of this prophecy. And we know that in, uh, uh, in the New Testament, this subject does come up again, the subject of Elijah. It does come up again. We know that the Jewish leaders in, uh, in Jesus' time were still teaching this prophecy from Malachi because Jesus' disciples indicate that, as we'll, we'll see in a little bit. They're actually waiting for this prophecy to come. They're, they're still waiting for it. And, and we remember how, how long is this after Malachi's prophecy when we're in Jesus' time? You guys remember how many years have gone by? 400 years? Yeah. Um, so they are, they are waiting for, for this prophecy to come about. And when the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah to tell him he would have a son, John the Baptist, right? He tells Zechariah a lot of things uh, about what, is required of him and what, what John the Baptist will do. And in Luke's account of this interaction, look at what the angel Gabriel says about the subject of Elijah. 
in Luke 1, 16 and 17. Okay, he says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Okay, this is Gabriel talking about what John the Baptist will do. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and, to the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now that should sound familiar because it's of the similarity to Malachi's words here in our, in our passage in, in verse 5. Okay, we have mention of Elijah and the turning of hearts of the fathers and the children. And Gabriel didn't say John was Elijah, but that he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Even John himself denied being the person Elijah. Okay, when, when the priests went out from Jerusalem to, to ask John, they were sent on this mission to ask John the Baptist who he was. Okay? And they started by asking him, of course, if he was the Christ, the Messiah. And look at John's response in John 1, 20 and 21. It said, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So, John himself denies being Elijah. Though the angel Gabriel said he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Well, what does it mean that John came in the spirit and power of Elijah? What do you think that means? Gabriel said John, Zechariah's son John, would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. What, what do you think that means? Okay, I think you said something key there. He, he, would, he would come and be like Elijah. He wouldn't physically be Elijah, but he would come like Elijah, doing similar things that Elijah did, things that people would recognize, like calling for repentance and turning back to God. And he would come in, in the power and authority of God. Elijah was sent by God to prophesy and to do the things he did. John the Baptist was sent by God to prophesy and do the things he did. Okay? Simply by asking John the question, they, they go out and they ask him this question, it shows us that they, we're talking about those in Jesus' time now, it shows us that they knew about Malachi's prophecy and still that they were waiting for its fulfillment. So they, they go out and ask him, are you him? That's why they ask the question, they're still waiting. Um, so, so what do we make then of what Jesus said about John the Baptist. John denied being Elijah, but Jesus seems to say something different. Jesus talked about John being the greatest of men born from women. That is, uh, he came with the greatest message of all the prophets. Okay, Jesus said, that, said this about him, making, making John really the fulfillment, or at least a partial fulfillment of this prophecy from Malachi. In Matthew 11, 13, and, uh, 13 through 15, uh, in there it says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, this is Jesus talking, he is Elijah who is to come. He who, hear, who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is Jesus talking. Now Jesus said about John, 
he is Elijah who is to come. So he's referencing back to the prophecy and saying that this is, this is him. But he also says, if you are willing to accept it. So Jesus indicates that John the Baptist is at least a partial fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy here. He was not Elijah, but came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Jesus is making a point here that, is, that symbolically, John has come as Elijah. Okay? And he also points out that, that unbelievers won't accept this. If they had really been paying attention, they would have recognized John coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. But they didn't. So, so this isn't, it's not confusing. Jesus is not contradicting what John said. Because they both understood that what the people were asking is, are you physically Elijah? Are you him? Come back in this form. And that's not the case. This is a, symbolically, Jesus is saying that John is, is partially a fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. And that it is, it's certainly made clear in that Jesus was crucified and also treated how they treated John the Baptist. And we see Jesus making these points to Peter, James, and John at the transfiguration. Okay? Um, remember, there Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And also the Bible says Moses and Elijah both appeared with Jesus in that time. So on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus appears in this way. He brings uh, Peter, James, and John up the mountain with him. He's transfigured into this, this brightness, as it described. And Moses and Elijah both show up, and they're there. At least temporarily, they're there with Jesus. Okay? And so this scene at the Transfiguration, after, if you want to start turning to Matthew 17, we're going to look there. Um, after Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus and then vanished, they were there temporarily, Peter, James, and John asked Jesus about what was going on. Okay, we'll look at that here in, uh, in Matthew 17, starting in verse... 9 through 13, okay? Okay, they've asked, they've asked Jesus what's going on. Jesus told them not to, not to tell anybody about this until he's risen from the dead. So verse 9, And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Okay? Verse 10 indicates the scribes were still teaching Malachi's prophecy. Okay? They're still saying he's coming. Um, and he, that he must come first. So the disciples were confused. Jesus cleared it up by saying, in reference to Elijah, that he had come in the person of John the Baptist. In verse 11 there, Jesus said, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. Okay, this is a reference, this is where it can get a little confusing. This is a reference to the fact that Elijah himself is still expected to come, future, even future from Jesus' time there. He's still expected to come. This would be the ultimate fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy regarding the day of the Lord. Because on Jesus' first uh, appearance 
It wasn't the day of the Lord. Okay? That day is still to come. So this prophecy was not completely fulfilled in the time of John the Baptist. In verse 12 that we just read there, Jesus said, But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. So what did Jesus mean they did to him whatever they pleased in reference to John the Baptist? They did to him whatever they pleased. Keep in mind, Herod had already had John the Baptist beheaded, had his head cut off and put on a platter and served up by this time. Jesus knew that. And also notice Jesus' prediction here that he himself would also suffer at the hands of the people. So when he says they did to him as they please, that's what they did. He was imprisoned, his head was cut off and served up on a platter. And now we ourselves are waiting for the total fulfillment of this prophecy when Elijah himself comes before the day of the Lord. It seems, and, and I would tend to agree, that uh, you know, many Bible commentators believe that Elijah, the coming of Elijah in, in person, the, the Elijah, will most, he'll most likely be one of the two witnesses that's mentioned in Revelation 11, okay, during the tribulation period. Um, most people believe that, that Elijah will be one of those two witnesses. The two witnesses will prophesy for 1,260 days. They'll be killed. Uh, and then God will raise them from the dead and take them back up to heaven. But the, the similarities in the activities of those two witnesses are very similar to um, some of the prophet Elijah's work on earth in the Old Testament. Um, and such as the power to stop and start rain and, and those kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> so, I don't think we need to be confused. It can be confusing. I don't think we need to be confused. The coming of John the Baptist was at least a partial fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. Jesus indicated that. Um, the angel Gabriel indicated that. John seems to have denied it, but when you really know what's going on, which is, John knew they were asking, are you the person, Elijah? His answer was no. Okay, he's not denying that he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's, he's denying being Elijah himself. Okay? Um, and as we look at verse 6, we see what the work is that the prophet will do when he comes. And again, we see the similarities between the work of John the Baptist and what will happen with the two witnesses in the tribulation. Look at verse 6, our last verse. Uh, here in our passage. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay, we cannot miss the overall message of verse 6, which reveals what must happen for people to be saved and what will happen uh, with all of those God is saving, which is repentance and faith toward God. Okay, repentance and faith. The call here is for repentance. Um, that's what he's going to do. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. There's, this is all talking about repentance, a turning. Turning from the path people were on. They will, relationships will be restored. They will, return, uh, they will turn to God in repentance. This is what will, will come about when this prophecy is ultimately fulfilled. When the two witnesses are here, 
doing their work, people are going to repent. Okay, in the similar way, when John the Baptist came, in the spirit and power of Elijah, what was his message? Repentance and faith. Okay, his message was a message of repentance. So there, it is the message of all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament, and it's still the message today. It was Elijah's message. It was Malachi's message throughout this whole book we've been going through. It was John the Baptist's message. It was Jesus' message. It was the apostles' message. And it was the message that you received when you became a Christian. The message was the gospel. The message was repentance. Turn from your sin. Put your faith in Christ. Okay, And it should be also our message to the world. It is a common message all throughout Scripture. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Romans 3, 23 through 25. It's the message. And Acts 3, 18 through 21 says, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. That's in Acts 3, 18 through 21. The people in Malachi's day could not have known that God would be silent for the next 400 years. And God did not tell them he was going to, that he was not going to speak anymore. But he left them with a clear message. And a call that he has always had. And we've seen it throughout the book of Malachi. It sounds familiar. Fear me. Remember me. Obey my commands. And when you don't, turn back to me in repentance and I will save you. If you don't, then a day burning like an oven is coming. And we see all of that through, through Malachi. And we could, we could focus on all the the destruction and warnings and all that, and, and we absolutely need to look at those. But for those who are in Christ, this book is also full of his promises. And that when you fear God and you remember him, he will save you. The next time the people of God would hear from him was through John the Baptist, symbolically Elijah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And what did he say when he saw Jesus? Who knows what John the Baptist said. Okay, that's part of it. But his declaration when he sees Jesus coming. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So you have, you have this strong message from Malachi. You have 400 years of silence. And that's the next thing they hear. Elijah, you know, John the Baptist and the spirit and power of Elijah and that message of hope. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
Some people get upset because Malachi ends with a decree of utter destruction. That's kind of a, kind of a negative way to end the Old Testament. Right, that's what people think. Um, but for those who are in Christ, for those who fear God, that's not what you end with there. We see all these promises in here of, of what he will do and that we'll that those who are in him, those who have faith in him, will come out leaping from the stall like a calf. There'll be joy, there'll be healing. And then the next words that we hear in the New Testament, we see in the New Testament, are, behold, this is what we've been waiting for. Behold, our Savior is coming, right? Let's close in prayer, and then we'll have a time of Q&A. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, for your patience, for your forgiveness. God, we thank you for the gift of faith in Christ Jesus. We thank you for eternal salvation that's found in him. Thank you, God, that when we are in Christ, we don't have to fear this day burning like an oven. For what we'll experience, Lord, is the son of righteousness with healing in its wings. We are so grateful for this gracious and merciful gift that you've given us in your Son and his death on the cross and his resurrection. We thank you, Father. We ask that you continue to teach us and sanctify us in your truth. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.